We are in week three of our series, A Table for Two, and we've been walking through a little bit of, um, you know, a couple of different things. We've, we've talked through Psalm chapter 23, and I want to start off this morning with, with, re- with reading that as we move into week three of the series, and today we're going to be talking about the battle for our minds, the battle for our minds. And Psalm 23 tells us this, that the Lord is my, and say this loud, the Lord is my, and because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. So he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. That's probably my favorite part of that whole verse, is that there are times that our souls take such a beating, our emotions, and God says he promises us restoration of those things to make us whole again. And you know, there's one day, that we're going to be looking at Jesus face to face and we will fully be restored, never needing restoration again because we will be made whole. And so he says he restores my soul. He leads me in these paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I feel like we could read that every week, couldn't we? It's just such a good verse and such a good reminder. And there's a couple of things that we want to take away from that. We've really been looking at verse, uh, the verse that says that he prepares this table before me in the presence of of my enemies. See, God has set a table for you and for me to have this time to commune with God, to spend time with God. But there's so many distractions that many times, instead of sitting down and sharing these intimate personal moments with the Lord, that we will treat this table as if it's a drive-through opportunity just to get enough, just to take a couple of photos to share with everybody that we have had this experience with Jesus instead of sitting down with the Father and spending time and hearing from Him, being loved on by Him, being cared for by Him. And He says that He doesn't just take this table and put this table as a window seat for us to be able to watch our enemies be destroyed, but instead He says that He prepares the table right in the middle of the enemies. Now, it's very clear um, that he, he wants us, because position is everything, and he's, he's put us in the middle of this, around the enemies. And so often, we want to tell that our enemies are people, but the Bible is very clear that the enemy is not people. The enemy is the enemy. And people get used by the enemy quite often. And the problem is, is when you try to call things out sometimes, that people, when you try to call sin out, what happens is people will say, you shouldn't be gossiping. You shouldn't be judging. And when you're calling sin, you call sin, sin. The Bible never tells us that it's judgment and gossip because we're calling sin, sin. It never tells us also not to judge. You you judge based off the fruit of the Spirit, correct? And so he puts us in this table, in the middle, with the enemy surrounding us. And what he's asking us to do is to lock eyes with him while the world, the anxieties, depressions, whatever your enemy is, whatever is own you, you're in the presence. And he's telling you not to worry about 
the enemy that's surrounding you. Don't listen to the chatter. Don't listen to the voices. Don't worry about what's happening. You focus on the Father because when you're focusing on the Father, you realize He is my shepherd. And because He's my shepherd, I shall not want. He's going to put me in the positions and the places to sustain me, to restore me, for me to be uh, by the still waters to have peace. But this only happens and you only understand those things because, see, there's a trust that has to happen between the sheep and the shepherd. And you need to know that the shepherd has good intentions of leading you into these other pastures to protect you, to take care of you, not to lead you off of a cliff somewhere or to lead you out into a barren land without any, anything to eat, anything to graze on, anything to drink. He, his intentions are set to put you in the right positions, in the right places to sustain you. But if we're not sitting at this table and locked eyes with the Father, we will soon forget what David is saying is that he's my shepherd. Because this table for two will often turn into a table for three. And we talked about it last week, but there's an enemy, the devil, who roams around prowling, looking for prey, trying to attack you and me in any way possible. He knows our desires. And what he will do is he'll take that chair and kick it right up to the table. And he will begin to speak into your life. He will come as a gentle person, but he will bring deceit and he has zero good intentions. The Bible says that his plan is to steal, to kill. And what's that last word? Anybody? He wants to destroy your life. Those are not people that you're inviting over to have dinner with you, are they? If you are, you have a completely different ministry from everybody else. But these aren't the people that we would have sitting at our table. And so why would we let them sit at the spiritual table between us and our Father when they're not, he's not invited? He's not allowed in. And what happens is, if we don't let the enemies distract us, we will lose focus on the Father and begin listening to what the enemy has to say to us. And he will start the lies of comparison, the lies of gloom and doom, that it's all over, the lie that you can't make it, the lie that you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough. Every possible lie that he can throw at you, he will to keep your eyes off of the things that the Father wants. And when we know that God's a shepherd and God brings us satisfaction, he gives us everything we need, why are we giving the enemy a seat? Why is he sitting there? Because it's the table for two, not for three. And I want to show you something today because one of the things with the enemy is he wants nothing more than to get into your mind. Because if he can take your mind, he can change everything. When you can buy into these lies, he can change everything. And it's so easy for us to bypass thoughts and, and not think anything of it. But the wrong thoughts get locked into our brain. And we can live with those things for years. We can battle with those things for a long time. So whatever... Whatever happens in our minds, whatever happens in our minds, translates into our lives. You are what you think. You are what you think. And so we, we tell even our kids at a young age, we don't want to ruin their moral innocence. We don't want to expose them to certain things. We don't want them watching certain things, listening to certain things, being around certain things. Because we, we take so much time protecting their little minds from being exposed. But what happens when we become adults? It's just like we forget that. We forget it. And when I did my doctoral work in counseling, one of the things that I spent a lot of time studying was this thing called neuroplasticity. Say that with me. Neuroplasticity. Anybody ever heard of that? All right, let's educate you real quick. You can get an honorary doctorate degree from Together Church today. 
Neuroplasticity means that your brain can be shaped. It's moldable plastic. Okay, so you have neuroplasticity. Then we have this other word called neurogenesis, which means that new connections can be formed. Your thoughts through neuroplasticity can create these ruts into your brain, these new connections. You can have a negative experience. Your brain can be rehardwired, and those negative thoughts, whatever is, is weighing in on your life, can be passed on through DNA. So your thought process can literally change your DNA, and it can affect the DNA of others. Um, you've ever seen families that have, it seems like every one of them through the family, there's the same issue that keeps on going and following down through its place. That's, that's because the brain has passed on the DNA. But thanks to, to neuroplasticity, the brain can be reshaped and rewired to change. Now, we didn't know this up until about 20, 20 or 30 years ago. Nobody knew that. They just thought, all right, you got a problem um, in your mind, so we're going to work. We're going to work this out, and we're not going to be able to cure it, but we're going to be able to make it a little bit better. Now we know today that God has wired our brains in a way that we don't have to accept the thoughts that come in that are negative, that it can literally be rewired to do the things that it's supposed to do. And it's a beautiful um, way that the body, the body works. See, we, we oftentimes get this thing messed up. Is, if you'll track with me for just a second, if you'll write, if you got a piece of paper, you can write this, write the word mind down. So mind, M-I-N-D, write that. Underneath mind, I want you to write the word thoughts. Thoughts, so you got mind and thoughts. Underneath thoughts, I want you to write the word brain. It's that thing your mom and dad used to ask you if you had one. Have you lost your brain? <laughs> that hit home for some of you. Didn't it? Mind, thoughts, brain, and then I want you to write this word down, action. Action. The mind and the brain are not the same thing. A lot of people assume that that's what it is, that the mind and the brain are the same. The Bible tells us you know, multiple times that you and I have the mind of Christ. Because we've been dead, for I've been crucified to Christ no longer that I live, but Christ lives within me. Think about all the things that our brain does. If, if, we, if we lost all function in our brain, what are some repercussions? Our heart stops. We stop breathing. I mean, we, we treat uh, football players for con concussion protocols because of the dangers of taking hits on our head because things, remember, plasticity, things get moved around a little bit. Um, and so when you look, at, you look at these words that you wrote down, I had you write them down in a specific order because the first thing we need to be protecting is our mind. That, the mind holds all the state of our emotions. Um, it, it's how we feel. It's how we choose. That, the mind is important. This is why the Bible doesn't say you should have the brain of Christ. You should have the mind of Christ. So the mind produces these thoughts, okay? So whatever's in the mind produces these thoughts, these thoughts are sending to your brain. Now, once you think about your brain as being, think about a computer, right? We tell the computer what to do. We type a command, and it works. We type in our own password. We email IT and ask them what is our password because we forgot. But when you input into a computer, we tell it what to do. Open this document. I want this to change to this color. I want to send this message to this person across the world. Like, so think of your brain as a computer. So our mind develops a thought, processes the thought. It, 
the thought goes into the brain to figure out how to interpret whatever code we just gave it. And then that code is going to come out of the brain into an action. So if we had a negative thought, the brain's going to process that as being negative. And what kind of action are we going to get? A negative action. We have a thought. It goes into the brain. It's positive. What kind of action are we going to have? We're going to have a positive action. Okay? This is how our brains work. The only difference is it took me longer to explain that than it would actually take for us to actually make that decision on thought. We have about 30,000 thoughts a day. Y'all stop to count that. We have about 30,000 thoughts a day. I didn't even know my brain worked like that, but it's always working. 80% of those is suggested that those are all negative thoughts. Negative thoughts. 30,000 thoughts, 80% negative. And those get stuck in here. And when those thoughts, 30,000 thoughts run through this filter... So it comes from our mind, our thoughts go into the brain, the brain produces it as a negative or positive action. What we're saying is about 80% of those thoughts that are run through the system are negative. It also shows there's research that 80% of physical, emotional, and spiritual um, sickness, or not spiritual, but emotional and physical sicknesses, 80% come from our thought processes. 80% come from our thought processes. When we because when we think negative thoughts constantly, stress comes with that, all kinds of stuff comes with that. So here's what I'm saying. Every major organ in your body is protected by some type of skeleton, correct? Spinal cord is protected by the spine column. The brain is protected by the skull. So do you understand why it's so important, the way our brain processes and how Easy it is to be shaped, because one bad experience can shape it. How quickly we can go south with our thought process. And why the Bible would spend more time talking about having the mind of Christ rather than the heart of Christ. Because the brain, the, the mind, pushes everything through the brain to create the action. So whatever happens in our minds will translate into our lives. That was a long way to, to explain why that happens. Okay. So let me just ask you this question. Are we all on the same page that our thought processes are important? Okay, what does this have to do with the Bible? Where are you going with this? I'm, I'm coming. I'm getting it. But let me give you a couple of things. If we change our minds, we change our past. Okay? Um, this is why when, when things happen, our kids do things, we sit down with our kids and we say, listen, we can't do that because, and we give them the reasons you can't do that. We can't put a screwdriver in their electrical socket. I know, you have to explain these things even to adults, because if the screwdriver goes into the electrical socket and the power is on, you're going to feel a little buzz, probably a little big one. There's going to be a big spark and probably a house fire. We have to explain those things so our kids can fully comprehend and understand, right? So explaining things is really important. So um, the Christian life is about thinking right, and that thinking right translates into living right for us to be able to live the life that God wants us to live involves us being able to think differently from the world. This is why it says that you can be in the world, but not of the world, because you and I don't think like the world. We don't see things the same way, because see, we see things with eternal consequences. We see a kingdom that is to come here on earth as it is in heaven. So let me give you a couple of things before we, before we get into this. I want you to understand that this is a battle for our minds, okay? It's just not how to change our minds. This is a battle, which means there's going to be some fighting. This is not an easy process, okay? 
we got to learn the process. So here's number one. To win the battle in your mind, you're going to have to identify the thoughts. You got to identify them. When things come into your mind, you got to ask yourself, where did this come from? Why do I feel that way? Our brains are a lot of of like a a highway, okay? There there are all these thoughts. Let's just say the 30,000 thoughts that are coming through our brains. They're all trying to get on the super information highway of our brain, right? It's like a big interstate with no speed limit. And we have on-ramps and off-ramps and thoughts sometimes come on and they stay on for long travels and sometimes thoughts get off. And every once in a while, what we need on our, our brains is on this brain highway, we need a toll booth to stop some things, right? We need to slow some, some traffic down because if we don't have a toll booth in, then what happens is every thought will start running through on these on-ramps and off-ramps and we will be bombarded with negative thoughts and not recognizing what's supposed to be there and what is not supposed to be there. Every thought cannot be allowed to ramp, on-ramp onto your mind because there's some things that people will say to us that aren't true and we will hold on to that thought and we will live it for the rest of our lives because this is what the enemy does. If he can bombard you with all these thoughts and you don't have any kind of stop point to identify what this thought is, then he's going to use everything he can to disrupt whatever relationship you have with God to get you moved away from it. So this is why we got to protect and identify. We have to restrict access to every thought. You're tracking with me so far. Every thought has to be restricted because these thoughts in our minds will gain speed. So we got to put these toll booths in to, to, to slow the process down. Let me give you an example of this. Genesis chapter 3. Eve and Adam have everything they want in the garden, everything... God has given them. It's perfect. Everything is working in harmony. There's no issues. They hadn't even gotten in an argument. Um, And so Adam and Eve are in the garden, and God has told them, you can can have anything that you want, but don't don't touch this tree. This tree is not going to be good for you. Now, God wasn't telling them not to touch that tree because he didn't want them to have a good time, or he was trying to penalize them. No, no, it's not like that. He didn't want them to touch this tree because he knew the moment that they disobeyed him, they were going to be exposed to things they didn't need to be exposed to. It's like us telling our kids, don't touch the hot stove. I'm not telling you not to touch the hot stove because your mom and I like to do that. When you go to bed, we like to touch the hot stove, so we want all the fun to ourselves. We're telling you not to touch the stove because it's going to hurt. And this is what God was saying by don't touch the tree. Not, this is something I like for myself, but the moment that you touch it and I told you not to, you're going to be exposed to things you don't want to. And unfortunately, the consequence of that is not just going to be a consequence to you, but all of mankind is going to face it. So I think God pretty much put it out there, the dangers of touching this tree. Well, a snake comes in the form of the enemy because he'll take on whatever he can. Sometimes the enemy will wear blue jeans and convince you of all kinds of things. And he begins having this conversation with Eve. Now, I have to ask because you go back and, and not a single time did any of the animals in Genesis talk and have a conversation. But she chooses to have this conversation with the snake, and it's talking back to her. And they get in this conversation over this tree, and and then he doesn't say, hey, you shouldn't do that or anything else. What he does is this is where he hits and says, did God really say that? And what he was doing was questioning the Word of God. He was creating this this fear of missing out. 
oh, well, he don't, he didn't, that's not what he meant. The reason he don't want you to eat it, because if you eat it, you're not going to know everything that he knows. And don't you want to know everything that he knows? And so with Adam standing by her side, she takes the fruit and she eats it. And now here we are. Later, years later, we're suffering the consequence. What, what Eve needed was a toll booth to go, wait a second. What did God say? He told me not to. He told me not to. And what did I do? I took it anyway. She wasn't happy with what was going on any, anywhere else. And so the enemy finds an opening for her, and he slides his chair up to the table, and he says, but did God really say that? And so when she takes this fruit, life changes for everybody. All she needed was to ask this question, wait a second, who are you? Sometimes we've got to look at our thoughts, and we've got to ask the question, who are you? Where is this coming from? Because sometimes we give way, way, way too much credibility to the things that other people who don't care about us have to say. And we put way too much weight in people that don't know who we are and too much credibility in that and too much weight in that and allow them to dictate things that are not true about our lives. And it's not them that's doing it. It's the enemy that has clearly put this thought there. You think about the, the, the lie that you're not good enough. Where, where did that come from? So the moment that you hear that, that lie is like you're, you're not good enough, your brain should put a toll booth right there and stop that thought and go, where'd you come from? Where'd you come from? Because the Bible says the opposite of what I'm hearing. So we've identified that this doesn't come from God. This comes from the enemy. So we throw it. We throw it. So we'll get caught. We'll get caught in these in these lies. So you can take that lie from child childhood and somebody tells you you're not good enough. And here's what happens. You would just say, eh, you know, whatever. Just make it very passive. And 20 years later, guess what's still sticking with you? The moment that you experience, I don't know, you go to interview for something that doesn't happen or a, a person doesn't want to be your friend anymore. What happens? Maybe I'm not good enough. It, that lie just carries itself very subtly throughout your lifetime before it finally takes root at some point in your life. This is why what we say to our kids and how we have conversations with them and explain stuff is so vital because their minds are at the most moldable at these young ages to help them understand what real life is. So we identify the thought. We ask, where is this coming from? This, this is either from God or it's from the enemy. There's no other place that it comes from. And the moment that we identify it and we go, okay, listen, this thought, you're not good enough, this does not come from the Father. So this has to come from the enemy, so I tell you to put horns on that thing and call it what it is. Because we identify the thoughts, and here's the second thing you've got to do is you've got to start to speak to that thought. Now hear me out, because you're probably going to think, That's, what do you mean speak to that thing? Talk back to that thought in Jesus' name. You need to start letting it know, I've identified who you are, and I'm going to tell my daddy about it. I'm going to tell the father what the enemy's up to. Because if I'm sitting at the table, I've just recognized that he's, he's allowing these things to happen. Look at 2 Corinthians. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3. But he says, for though, for though we walk in the flesh, we walk in what? Flesh. Because there's a lot of fleshly things that we want to do, right? 
Don't believe me? Get cut off in traffic. You don't start praying. Father, I pray for an overflow of blessings on the person that just cut me off. I pray they hit the lottery and they never have to, to play it. No, your prayers don't sound anything like that when somebody cuts you off either. The first thing that goes through your mind, or the first thing that should go in your mind is, do I have a together church sticker on the back of my car? I know a guy that used to keep golf balls in the console, and he had a sunroof and just throw them out. He wasn't saved. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not raging war according to the flesh. So those are strong words from Paul. We walk in the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Let me say that again. Our weapons are not of the flesh. In other words, Paul's saying, you can use whatever weapon you want to try to defeat this stuff. It's not going to work. Because we're not fighting an earthly, fleshly battle. We are fighting a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual war for our minds. And he says this, that, that we're, we're not of the flesh, but we have, say this with me, we have what? Divine power. Now, we may think that when we fight these thoughts ourselves that we have power. We have no power in that because it's only through Jesus that our minds are renewed, right? And he says that, that we have this divine power, and I want you to hear this word because it's very strong that Paul uses. We have this power to destroy, not be passive about, not to, you know, whatever, it's here. Paul says that you and I, if we will fight through the divine power that's been given to us, if we fight with the divine power that's been given to us, that we have the power to destroy, 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 get rid of, no longer exist. We can destroy all of these strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's been raised against the knowledge of God. And we take, we take every thought captive to obey to Christ. We take every thought captive to obey to Christ. So here's what he's saying, is that you and I, there, there's a war, and we can fight with our own ways, or we can operate out of the giftings that God has given us, which is this divine power that we have as sons and daughters of the king, to speak back to these thoughts and put them in their place of going, listen, you have no residence at this table. You need to leave. Because I'm not going to accept lies and let those things infiltrate and get on my highway of thinking. I'm going to put a toll booth and identify it. It's identified. Now I'm going to speak to it in Jesus' name. You, you hear what I'm saying? You and I, as sons and daughters of the king, have the authority and the divine power through Jesus Christ to destroy every one of these thoughts. Now, we are people of control, aren't we? We love to have a little bit of control. You want to have fun, go on vacation with somebody that's the planner, and they got everything mapped out. At this time, we're getting up. At this time, I'm going to have the eggs on and breakfast ready. And let one little thing in that schedule get messed up. What happens? What do we call those people? Control freaks, <laughs> right? Some of y'all aren't talking. We might have a whole room full of those people. We like to control things, and things that we don't control, we don't like to be a part of. 
a lot. We, we kind of just sit back. But here's what, here's what I'm telling you the Scripture's saying. Here's what Paul's saying. You and I have control to change the way that we think. And we can destroy these thoughts that the enemy wants to plant in our heads. We can get them out of here. We, we have that. So you've got, you've got to be able to speak to the thought. It, it's not spiritual lingo. He says you've got to bind this thought. It's a stronghold. A stronghold. It's been put in your life to keep you from moving forward. It's the barricade and block you in. And Paul says that we have been given divine power to destroy those things by calling it what it is and telling Jesus about it. And we can destroy those thoughts. So the thought of you're not good enough doesn't stand anymore. The thought that you'll never amount to anything doesn't matter. The world's against you, it doesn't matter because we fight it with the divine power once we identify that it doesn't come from the Father. So you got to speak to the thought. Here's the third thing. You're going to have to claim the truth. We've identified it. We've spoken to it. We've taken it captive. And by taking it captive, we bind that thing up. We don't let it do what it needs to do. We don't let it run wild anymore. Remember, the enemy's a lion. He's roaming. He's not roaming anymore because he's been tied down. But he says, now at this point, you better start claiming the truth. Because this is the part that we miss. We'll identify that this thought's not healthy. And we'll start telling the thought that it's not healthy. But if we don't start claiming the promises of God, we will so quickly forget and fall right back into the pattern of unhealthy thinking. Because, see, I believe it's claiming His truths that keep us from thinking that we did something that was magical and powerful and we overcame the thought process. And we call that idolatry. And what he's saying is you need to start proclaiming the truth. The only way that you can proclaim the truth is you need to be with Jesus and His Word. It's hard to proclaim things that you don't know about. I was talking with a group of pastors um, this week. They're out in California, and they were riding me about how great their football team was. Um, <clears throat> bandwagon people. But we were talking about this very same principle of, of claiming the truth. And they were asking about, like, with discipleship, what, what's the toughest thing of getting getting people to be disciple makers. I said the toughest thing is getting people in the Word because you can't lead people somewhere that you've never been before. And I can tell you how to get to a lot of places, right? I can tell you how to get to williams Bryce Stadium in Columbia because I've been there. I can tell you the, the best place to park. I can tell you the best route to Dodge Stadium traffic on the day of games. I can tell you where the best vending uh, vendors are. Because I've been there. I've experienced it. When, when the enemy starts bringing these thoughts in, if, I've ne if I haven't been in the Word, I don't have any truths to claim. Because I don't know what I'm claiming. Besides my opinion. But when our opinions become God's Word, things change. Because you think about it. At the very mention of the name of Jesus, the Bible says that what does the devil do? He flees. I don't even have to preach a sermon to him. I don't even think I have to get the whole name of Jesus out before he starts to tremble. He's like, I'm out. I'm done. He'll leave the table. He'll leave the table very quickly. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, before he, his, his ministry has started, he's been on the earth for 30 years. He's been a carpenter, living with his family in Nazareth. He goes out to the Judean wilderness, and the first thing that happens when he, he says, I'm going to do this ministry, now my time has come for me to, to start bringing my disciples in and and start teaching these kingdom values and, and to really set forth the plan of the Father. So, so when he does that, the first thing that happens, the enemy grabs him and he, he becomes tempted. 
or he, he be, he's, he's being tempted, right? So he's, he's facing temptation, and the enemy comes at him, and, and this is the son of God. How do, you, how do you tempt someone who has everything? Just so you know, the devil has zero boundaries with who he will attack. So if he will come after Jesus, please don't think for one second that he won't come after you. We're what they call soft targets because we will fall into it in a heartbeat. And we get into chapter 4, and the enemy starts promising Jesus everything. Now, he's out in the desert. He's fasting. He hasn't eaten in a few days, okay? And in the process of not eating for the few days, the enemy comes up to Jesus, and he says this, hey, why don't you just take these rocks and turn them into some bread? You can eat. Now, we got to pause right there because I don't want you to miss, I don't want you to miss what we're talking about. Jesus has to identify the fault. He's human, right? We agree he was 100% human. He was God, but he was 100% human. He says that he has faced uh, every temptation that we have. And so he's human. He's got these rocks, and the enemy's saying, turn these into bread. So Jesus has to capture that fault, and he does. He knows where this is coming from. A lot easier when the devil is literally standing in front of you. But he says, listen, I know where this thought's coming from. He speaks to it, but when he speaks to it, I want you to look what he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Jesus answered, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I want you to see what Jesus did here. He's quoting Deuteronomy. Guess who's been in the word? That's pretty cool. The word was in the word, giving the word. Jesus is making a claim here. He's claiming the truth. No, the thing that I live off of is from the Father. He says in John chapter 3, he says, My food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Jesus said, I know where the thought comes from, and I'm going to proclaim the truth to that thought. And the truth is the word. It wasn't opinion. It wasn't some lofty thought. Jesus is saying that this is not from God, so it's not congruent with his word. So these are the two questions you've got to ask when these thoughts enter. Who is, who is this from, and is it congruent with the word of God? Does this line up with the scriptures? Test everything through the scripture. Test everything through the scripture. So thought enters my brain. This is the process of how it should work. Who's this from? And does this go along with the scripture that I've been given? Is it from God? Does this go along with the scriptures? You don't need anything else outside of that. That is your toll booth because any thought that gets in your brain needs to pay a price for it. And it's okay to let some thoughts be inconvenienced because if not, they get on that highway, it's hard to get them off ramps. There are very few off ramps in, in, in the brain that, that operates. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I've got a, a mission. The enemy's trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut. Well, I know you're out here to fast, but man, just turn these rocks into some bread. You can eat. You don't have to worry anymore. I know it's been hot out here. I know you've been walking around the desert. There's really nothing out here. Just a bunch of goats and date trees. That's about all there is. But you, you can have a free feast right here if you'll just exercise your power. And he, and he chooses to not do that, but he proclaims the truth. But you got to know the truth to come with truth. 
Here's the last thing. You identify it, you speak to it, you claim it. Now you got to walk in it. You got to walk in it. It's about walking and acting in that truth. Walking and acting in that truth. What does the Bible say? Who's it from? What does the Bible say? Claim it, walk in it. Live it out. Because if we don't, I was just thinking about this moment where they looked at the disciples and it says that they were amazed at the disciples. And then they use these words, like amazed, like, oh, you're amazed at what I do? But this was the follow-up to that conversation. They were amazed because they were uneducated and unqualified men. Now, that could have easily gotten the disciples' minds and they're like, hmm, maybe we're not good enough to be doing this. Maybe we need to go back to fishing. And I don't think Peter was that great at fishing. He, he had a tax bill that he couldn't pay, which tells me he couldn't catch a lot of fish. But think about it. You got to walk in the truth. You got to start living these things, these things out. I can't, I can't tell you how, how important it is that we capture these thoughts. I see it in counseling sessions. I see it in the media. I see it in everyday conversations. I've seen it in my own life. I'm telling you, if you don't capture thoughts and make them obedient to Jesus, you leave poison in your mind and you've allowed someone to sit at the table to continuously use that to interrupt the table that God has prepared for you and for him, and you miss all the blessings that God has given you. I'm just telling you. I can tell you a few years ago, I allowed some lies to get here, and I made them very passive. Didn't didn't want to have anything to do with them, just like, you know, whatever, it's not a big deal. And can I tell you, the ne- over the next couple of months, I found myself just in- internally and emotionally just starting to deteriorate. I-, I wanted a recluse. I didn't want to be around people. I had the generic answer of, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. But I wasn't because I allowed a thought to get in here, and it started generating all these other thoughts. And it was it was a painful painful season. And I remember calling some people and I said, listen, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. It's right in the middle of the pandemic. This is a great, if I'm going to quit, this is the best time to quit. But I had a friend that was very wise and said, man, if you've been a Gamecock fan all your life, you can't quit. You can't quit on God. How right that was. That's a, that's a great, let me tell you, if you're a Gamecock fan, you can't quit. Keep pushing through. But I had to take the next step of going to get some help because I allowed the enemy to get into my head and tell me stuff. And he, he preaches a sermon. He preached a very convincing sermon for months. And I was buying it. But the moment that I realized that the enemy had taken his seat and the moment that I asked Jesus to restore my soul, because I had to ask this question. This is a great question for you to ask no matter where you are in life. But I had to ask myself, what, what will it take? What does Jesus need to do in my life for me to get better again? What will it take for Jesus to do in my life for me to have to get better again? And I just had to sit at the table 
and lift my head to him out of shame and out of embarrassment and out of hurt and just ask him to heal my heart. And I'll tell you this, that I'm being healed. It's a process. But there's still days that it's a battle. And that's what I want you to understand today. It is a battle. You will have to fight everything. Everything. Because the enemy has an all-out war for your thought process. Set your mind on things above. Place your thoughts on his thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Have the mind of Christ. Think on these things. I hope when you read the Bible, you'll start reading those things. That you'll start reading how important that God was pointing, even from the Old Testament, New Testament, whatever comes in here, whatever gets in our mind, processes right here through this thing that we call a brain. And it'll determine our obedience or our disobedience. It'll determine our sin or not sin. And that's where we are. So I want to pray this morning for you that God would, would give you the, the courage to, to take some of these thoughts and these lies that you've been fed and destroy them. So, Father, I pray this morning for everyone here. The enemy is so clever to snatch a seat up at the table and begin speaking lies to us that we begin to believe and we take our eyes off of you and we begin watching him, the thief, the liar, the murderer, the destroyer. I pray now for boldness of our people, of this community of believers that the enemy wants nothing more but to get them to have toxic thoughts within their minds. And I pray today that they would take refuge in your word, that we can take every thought captive. And with a divine power, we can find healing, that you will restore our souls. But God, it takes us to proclaim that today, to proclaim your promises over our, our struggles and over the lies and the attacks of the enemy. So I pray now in these moments that, God, you would work and reveal, convict in our lives today. And as we respond this morning, we're going to sing, but we also have communion set up right back here by the steps that it's, it serves as a reminder today of what table you sit at and the price that was paid for and so as we stand and sing, if you want to grab communion, grab communion. Pray for the person beside you. Pray for you. Spend some time just hearing from God right now because here's what I'm telling you. He wants to speak to you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.